0: Welcome to Ms. Lyrics Poetry Outlaws, a show about all things poetry. I'm your host, Catherine Owen. All right, good morning, Poetry Outlaws. First, an addendum to yesterday's M is for muses. Don't you often find that when you're focusing on something that you tend to then see that something out in the world or in what you're reading or watching? So I hadn't read anything that contained the word muse for quite a long time. And then I'm reading uh, Dear Birch by Margaret Christakos because I'm reviewing it for my mirror review site on WordPress. And it's also going to be part of today's imagined readings. And I came across some lines in which she talks about her muses, which seem to be uh, female lovers. She says one of the things she is noticing is how she is making R into a muse In much the same way N became a muse and S had been a muse and before that and after them both how X was a muse, she writes across pain of feeling rejection, of imaging and imagining herself to be spurned by someone because this is an anxious, vibrant space of feeling magical perhaps, of sensing a capacity in herself to shore up her self-esteem as someone who can write and think intelligently and is therefore desirable If only the muse love could hear inside her head or read her on the page, they would catapult back to her. Maybe that's the strategy belief system at play. Yeah, that pretty much encapsulates it, the whole cycle of one muse becoming another muse and feeling that magical sensation of being able to create from this being channel and then also that fantastical thinking of the muse is going to hear you or read you, and then they're going to fall even in more love with you, which of course is absurd because what you really need in the muse is for them to be distantiated and hollow and detached enough so that they can be channels. If they're too connected to you, they fall for you too much, then you don't have the breathing space required in order to create. So there's that paradox always at play. So I decided today. Well, I've been rereading Tim Lilburn's Moosewood Sandhills, which came out in 1994, and from it was from McClellan and Stewart. It was received very well. It was seen as his kind of breakthrough book. And at the time, I I really loved it. Um, I'm a little bit more critical now, or maybe a little bit more cynical and jaded. Who knows? But I saw him read from it in probably the mid-90s, maybe 96 or 97. At uh, Commercial Drive, Uh, Bukowski's used to be a place where I forget who organized a reading series there. It was a very awkward venue because it was long and had several tiers, and you kind of read between pillars. It was a kind of incongruous place for Tim Lilburn to read these poems that are, you know, ecstatic and materialist and and natural and all about you know a man communing with with nature, his environment, and becoming, you know, religiously and in in the deepest sense connected to the world. Uh, so. I first wanted to read, I'm I'm rereading uh, Marianne Boruck's The Little Death of Self, Nine Essays Towards Poetry, which is in the Poets on Poetry series that comes out from University of Michigan Press. And this piece, she's writing about uh, Flannery O'Connor and Elizabeth Bishop and their friendship and the connection between their prose and poetry. And she takes a quote from O'Connor here. The writer should never be ashamed of staring there is nothing that doesn't require his attention. And I was thinking to myself, why, when I'm reading Tim Lilburn and I'm reading Margaret Christakos, one to reread and the other one for a mirror review, I'm suddenly seeing connections between them, even though Christakos has a very different perspective uh, feminist, um, you know, poly, uh, just the multiplicities, much more urban, uh, less spiritualist. Uh, though still magical, um, she's more concerned to note down the more tangible or quotidian bits of her day, whereas Lilburn is still, in, in his way, listing details of what he sees and experiences, but in a more possibly transcendent sense. But then I thought, the two of them are looking. They're paying attention to their surroundings and they're seeing in the ability to note down these details, these minutiae, uh, these moments which others might just pass by, that there is something in that. There is some meaning, there is some hope, there's some beauty, there is almost essentially the definition of the poet's role in society to note, to be filled with awe, to take things into oneself and transform them. And both of them have an eros, uh, a willingness to connect to the somatic and to draw these weird and, you know, wonderful lessons in the most expansive sense from them. So I'm going to read a poem from Tim Lilburn's Moosewood Sandhills called Sleeping on the Land, Root Cellar, and then I'm going to follow that with August 19th in Deer Birch. Most of the pieces are quite long, so this is chosen because it's one of the shorter ones, but also we have this erotic core connecting them, even though one is more urban and familial and the other one is more solitary and natural. Sleeping on the land, root cellar. August, stars bulge against the world. You lie down in the hole where you've stored potatoes, their meaty antenna nod. Above, a roof of straw bales. On your lucky third night, you dream of passing bears running in darkness, flickering grass. You wish to understand the world? Be vanquished by it. In one Aspen yesterday, living like a spy, a city of light. Its depths, boulevards, everywhere the aroma of thought. You have no rights in that city. Desire thins the shape it rushes, so the whole is your rest. Under hawk-shouldered stars, crickets and primrose, their distant, woody smell of sperm. August 19th, then as a long and slow second thought she properly takes you in your zinging cicada trill your outfurled flags of foliage the neighbor babies large grunts like garden toads palpable through their shared fence in the kitchen behind her her own twins are in their home shorts swilling warm salt water across the healing sockets where their wisdom teeth were tugged out three days ago. Houseflies and moths flit in her periphery. Your special vitamin is a quiet patience for reading. You line yourself up to enter her radiant syrup, supplemental toxin. She is becoming intoxicated. You've been listening to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws. Stay fierce, word musicians.